Thank you all for coming out this morning. I just want to first of all say a great big happy new year. We made it. We made it through 2023. Woohoo! And so we're ready for a new chapter in our lives. How many are ready for a new chapter in your life? You ready to put behind you last year as good as it was? It was not too bad, but you know, the best always lies ahead. So we just want to welcome you to Victory Center and all you first-time uh, guests that we have here. Uh, if you will fill out, uh, there's a little welcome card in the back of the, some of the chairs. Fill those out and take them to the welcome desk, and we have a gift for you. So uh, thank you for coming, and all of you online people. Uh, we wish you were here, but uh, we know that you just didn't want to miss what God had for this place uh, this morning. So thank you for joining us, you that are online. Well, a new chapter. You know, I am, uh, most of you know that I am a writer, that I write fiction, Christian fiction. And uh, I always get excited about a new chapter when I get ready to start a new chapter. Most generally, I don't know what that chapter is going to include, but uh, I'm always glad to start it because uh, the story moves on. And, uh, you know, in, you, you probably don't know this, but in fiction writing, uh, you know, you start with a problem and then it gets bigger and then it gets bigger and then every chapter gets bigger until we get to a place of the climax and then it starts getting better. Now, I don't know where it is in your story, but uh, a new chapter is a new beginning. And that's what this year is all about. I don't know for sure what is going to happen this year uh, in our country, in our individual lives, in our church. I have a pretty good idea in our church, but uh, I don't know what's going to happen for sure. You probably don't either. But we're standing on the very rim of 2024. And what an awesome opportunity we are facing. But what a tremendous challenge we have as well. Because when you start into, into something and you don't know what's going to happen, then you have to be a person of faith to be able to walk confidently into the unseen. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about finishing strong and keeping your eyes on the prize. So I want to start uh, this morning with uh, Philippians, the third chapter. I'm going to be reading most of my scriptures that I have. It's going to be the Apostle Paul talking. And you know, he was a great influencer. He still is influencing our lives. But you know, he was a great man of faith. But he found out one thing that you and I will have to find out. And that is, the walk of faith is not a walk in the park. The walk of faith has many challenges. We are promised that we have been made overcomers 
And we get really excited about that. We sing and we dance about overcoming, overcoming, overcoming. But we forget that to be an overcomer, you have to overcome something. And there's always a possibility when something comes for you to overcome that you might not overcome. You do have a choice, and there is a way of being an overcomer. So Paul was an overcomer. He, uh, but oh my goodness, he had so many challenges in his life. But he says uh, in uh, Philippians 3, verse 10, he starts out in the Amplified. That first phrase that's in the parentheses, he says, my determined purpose is. Now, I just want to stop there for a minute because if we would stop there, we would think that Paul was probably saying, my determined purpose is that this year, I'm going to win more people to the Lord. I'm going to go more places. I'm going to raise people from the dead. I'm going to put my hands on people and they're going to be healed. I'm going, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to see wonderful signs and wonders and miracles this year. Yes, I am. This is my purpose. But that's not what he said. Let's see what his purpose really is. He says, my determined purpose is that I might know him. That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his presence more strongly and more clearly. That was his number one purpose. Paul knew something that we must know, and it is this. It's more important what you become than what you do. Yes, he did a lot, but he was more interested in what he was to become. Because he goes on, that was number one, that I might know him. Number two is that I may, in the same way, come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers. Now, we know that this was a big, a really big desire of Paul because we know that in Ephesians, the first chapter, he talks about a prayer that he constantly prayed. And one of the things that he prayed in that prayer was that he might have an understanding of that mighty power that is at work within us. He wanted to know the power of the resurrection life of God that is available to us believers. And you know that goes beyond just getting to heaven, just getting saved. That's a great one, part of it. But there's power available. And so Paul, first of all, he wanted to know God. Secondly, he wanted to have an understanding of the power that the resurrection released into the life of a believer. And then thirdly, he goes on to say, uh, and that I may share his sufferings. Oh, let's scratch that out. Uh, right? Right? 
We'll talk about that later. That I may, may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. So number one, he wanted to know God. That was his purpose. Number two, he wanted to know the power that outflowed from the resurrection towards him. And number three, he wanted to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Hmm. That was Paul's full purpose. You know, I don't know. I didn't look around to see who all made New Year's resolutions. But I wonder if your New Year's resolutions included any one of those three things. If not, I would encourage you to put those three things on the list as number one priority in your life this year. And then Paul goes on to uh, explain how he was going to attain to that goal. So, uh, starting in um, verse 12, he said, Not that I have now attained this ideal or am already made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of, to grasp, and make my own that for which Christ Jesus the Messiah has laid hold of me and made me his own. So he said, I'm pressing on because God apprehended or he, he made me his own for a reason. And so I'm going to start by pressing towards that reason, towards that purpose. And then he says, Verse 13, I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own, but one thing I do. So what is he telling us? He's telling us how he's going to attain to this goal that we read about in verse 10. One thing he says, and it's my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, with Paul, there was a lot that lay behind him. There were some good things, and there were some bad things. In fact, earlier on in this chapter, he tells us how he used to be. And he, he talked about being zealous for God, but persecuting the church. And by the law, this is what he says, by the law's standard... I was blameless. No fault was found in me. So this is what lay behind him, the good. I mean, he was a great... In fact, he says, I was a Pharisee. We know they don't have a real good reputation. But uh, he said, I, I was a Pharisee. He said, I... Uh, but I persecuted the church. But I was perfect under the law. And so he had some good things behind him and some bad things behind him. And what did he say about those? He said, I forget the past. 
That's not easy to do because we have an enemy that tries to remind us of our past. I, I was reading about, uh, I, was, I was reading a book about um, this lady that had taken, I mean, this wasn't what the book was about, but this was a story she had in there, how she had taken motorcycle lessons to learn how to ride the motorcycle. Now, for the life of me, I couldn't figure that one out. But she said that they told her, always keep your eyes ahead of you because where you look is where you're going to go. So if you are heading in a direction and you decide that you're going to fix your eyes on what was behind, guess where you're going to wind up? You're going to probably wind up in the ditch. Now, all of us have stories. We, we didn't start out perfect, not as perfect as you are now. We all have a story. We all have a past. And I dare say that there's not one person in here that is not ashamed of something in their past. Whether it's something you did or something that somebody did to you. But according to Paul, if you're going to reach your goal, you've got to forget that. You've got to have long-term memory when it comes to your past. Long-term memory loss is what I meant to say. Long-term memory loss. Forget it. Because once you start walking with God... The Bible tells us we're new creatures, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Why would you want to rehearse anything back then when the best lies ahead? So Paul knew that. And then he and that allowed him to say what he said in verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win. The supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. So let those of us who are spiritually mature and full grown have this mind and hold these convictions. That if, any, if in any respect you have a different attitude of mind, God will make that clear to you also. He's saying, now, if, you're gonna, if I'm going to reach the goal, and it's the high calling of Jesus Christ, it's a prize that will enable you to be an overcomer. So what is that high calling? Well, he told us what it was in verse 10. That I may know him then I may experience the outflow of the resurrection, that I may be transformed into his likeness. That's what Paul was pressing towards. And he also, he made this statement. He said, now, uh, don't think that I have attained. I'm still working towards it. If Paul hadn't attained it, you know, probably there may not be a whole lot of people in this congregation that has attained to it yet. I know I haven't. I still press. 
Every day I press. And uh, then Paul tells us in Hebrews what must take place in our lives if we are going to attain to that goal. So I want to look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Now, in Hebrews 12, uh, I'm going to read it to you, first of all, out of the Amplified. Uh, We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Can you put that up in the Amplified? Therefore, then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth. Now, I just want to stop there for a minute. He, first of all, says that there are some people that are witnessing our progress. There's a cloud of witnesses, and and we know from people that's been to heaven and come back that there are places in heaven, portals in heaven, where those that have gone on can go to these portals and they can see the spiritual progress of those here on this earth, their loved ones and the ones that they're interested in. There is a cloud of witnesses up there. And Just this last week, one of our dear sisters Rebecca went to join that cloud of witnesses in heaven. And our pastor, for 44 years, is, he's a part of that cloud of witnesses. And you know what he's saying to all of us? He's cheering us on, they're cheering us on, and they're saying, whatever you have to do, it's worth it. It's worth it. If you could just see what lies before you, it's worth it. Keep pressing on. So that's, that's what Paul was trying to get across to us. Keep pressing on. It is worth it. And then he goes on to say, um, so then we should know, first of all, that it's worth it because What he's going to say next is going to be a little harder. Let us strip off and throw aside every incumbents, unnecessary weight, and the sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us, and let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence The appointed course of the race that is set before us. Hmm. So there is something that we're going to have to do to be able to run our race correctly and effortlessly. It's not easy. Now, I don't run races. But I do know that when my husband and and our grandkids and all these people that run those five, those awful 5K races. You know what? They were stripped down to t-shirt and shorts and a good pair of tennis shoes. They did not carry backpacks. They left everything, even their water jugs behind. They needed to have, be light and be able to run the race with endurance. So they left those things. They stripped it off. That's what he's saying here. You're going to have to prepare yourself for this journey. You're going to have to prepare yourself. 
I want to look at that in the, um, t uh, the tra uh, Passion Translation, and I want to look at verses 1 through 4, Hebrews 4, 12, 1 through 4. And as for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us. And the sin we so easily fall into. Now let me just mention, I like the way this says, the wound that has pierced us. Uh, the meaning of that is it's like an arrow has pierced you and you have that arrowhead still stuck in you. So uh, we must let go of that wound. Did somebody wound you? And you still have that arrow head in your soul? It's going to be a weight. It's going to slow you down. And it could stop you altogether. And then the sin which so easily, we so easily fall into. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but I kind of feel like that everyone has a pet sin that is easier than others to fall into. I mean, they could be varied. But according to Paul, this is something we need to get rid of. This is the pressing in part. It's not a walk in the park. It's a pressing in. It's, it's going to take effort. So that we can be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. For the path has already been marked out before us. Hmm. Verse 2. So we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus. Who birthed faith within us. And who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross. Conquered its humiliation. And now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners. Who oppose their own souls so that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures. Now let me just stop there for just a minute. See, that's what's going to keep us from pressing on. Because we get worn out. We cave in under life's pressures. So verse 4. After all, you have not yet reached the point of sweating blood in your opposition to sin. Jesus sweat blood because he was going to have to take your sins on his body. And that was not a pretty sight. That's not something he looked forward to, but that's something he had to do. So that we could be free. So that we could walk free from those sins. And so, uh, it's not as hard for you to get rid of your sins as it was for Jesus to take sins on, your sin on his, in his spirit and soul. Amen. 
All you have to do is ask the Lord to forgive you. Repent, turn around, and do the other, the opposite of what the devil's trying to get you to do. How easy is that? You didn't have to sweat blood. You can get her done. So I want to I look at this in the Message Bible, uh, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 11. We'll go through it quickly. Do you see what this means, all these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on? It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sin. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, the shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item. That long litany of hostility Jesus plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves, Selah. Uh, we'll go on. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and how God regards you as his child? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's what, why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. You could write that on your refrigerator. The trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Why would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so that we can truly live? While we were yet children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us. Training us. And this is the reason, to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Rather, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who finds themselves mature in their relationship with God. Whew. And yeah, I can say, Selah, so be it, as we read what Paul tells us. See, this is the walk that we are admonished and challenged to walk this year, 2024, if we're going to attain our goal. And what is our goal? I think our goal needs to be the same thing that Paul had. I know for me, this is my goal. This is the goal I have for Victory Center. This is a vision I have for Victory Center, that we might know him. Experience the power outflowing from his resurrection. Continually be transformed 
in spirit into his likeness. That's my goal. I hope it's yours. It's my goal for this whole church. I believe it's God's goal. And you know, Paul, when he reached the end of his life, he said this in 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 7. He says, 2 Timothy 4, 7. This is what he said. I fought the good, worthy, honorable, and noble fight. I have finished the race that he was talking about. He was pressing on. He hadn't attained, but he says, now I've finished it. I have kept, I firmly held the faith. And then in verse 8, he says, and to what remains henceforth there is laid up for me the victor's crown of righteousness. For being right with God and doing right, how wonderful it is. When you come to the end of your life, that you can say, I have a crown waiting for me. It's a crown of righteousness because I have been being right and doing right. Because the doing right comes out of the being right. Let me say that again. The doing right comes out of the being right. What we become. It's not what you do for God. It's what you become. And out of that will be the doing. And then he goes on to say. Which the Lord the righteous judge. This is the prize. Keep your eyes on this prize. The righteous judge will award me. And recompense me. On that great day. And not for me only. This is the good news. But also to those who have loved and yearned for and welcomed his appearing, his return. Now, the only way that you're going to look for and welcome his return if you have been right with God and doing right. Otherwise, you're not really looking forward to seeing the Lord. So every one of us have this prize that we can press towards. And this is what Paul's telling us about 2024. Press towards this mark. Now, there was a man in the Old Testament. His name was Joseph. Uh, it starts in, uh, his story starts in Genesis 37. We won't go there, but I'll just kind of tell the story. I think most of you know the story of Joseph, but maybe not. Joseph was the favored son of Jacob, his father. He had 11 other brothers and sisters, but Joseph was favored by his, his dad. And you know, uh, there's something about in a family, when you have one sibling that is favored, uh, really sometimes they turn out to be little brats because they're so favored. I mean, just saying. And I think that um, probably Joseph had a little streak of bratness in him. Because of some things that we can see, he had this dream from God that his sheaves or uh, corn stalks or whatever you want to call it, uh, they stood up and all the brothers 
corn stalks bowed down to him. And the Bible tells us he told his brothers about it. Hmm, not smart. Because already his, his father had sent him out to check on his brothers, and he had come back and give, given the father a bad report. And already the brothers hated him. So to tell him that dream, he, they hated, it says they hated him all the more. But he just, you know, he was just a little Joseph. Everybody loves me. But he had another dream, similar to the other one. And it had the sun uh, and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to him, which included his father and his stepmother and all of his brothers. And he told them that dream too. And they hated him all the more. And then his father sent him out to check on, on the brothers. He was quite a ways away. Actually, he had this wonderful coat that his father had given him. It's called a, one place it's called a coat of many colors. One place it's called a distinctive long robe. So it was distinctive. It was something special that said, I am special to my daddy. I'm daddy's boy. And so he starts out, he finds his brother, and when his brothers see him coming, they make this statement, here comes that dreamer, let's kill him and see what happens to his dreams. Well, you know uh, that they changed their mind and sold him to some traders that was going by, and um, he, went, he went down to Egypt. So here was, here was Joseph. Uh, he had a dream, and he knew his purpose. He knew his purpose. It starts off that he knew his purpose, and we'll see when we go through this story of, of Joseph that this purpose sustained him all the way through. But he had opportunity after opportunity to miss the mark. And not attain the prize. Now first of all. When we're running our race. Taking uh, Joseph as an example. When we're running our race. We should know our purpose. How do you know your purpose? Well let me just tell you. Your purpose. Should be. To know the Lord. To know the power outflowing from his resurrection. To be continually transformed in the spirit. You know, over practically 50 years now, my husband and I, right after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and then he was, our first goal was to know God. We didn't seek the ministry. That's the last thing in our mind. We wanted to know God and know the, out, the, the power that outflowed from his resurrection and we wanted to be transformed in his, into his likeness. That was our whole goal. That was why uh, Pastor Charlie went to Ramah. We just wanted to know those things. We had no idea that we would move to Gaiman. We had no idea that we would start a church. 
We had no idea that we would ever be in the five-fold ministry. That was not our purpose and that was not our goal at that time. But let me tell you, if you make these three things that we talked about this morning, if, we, if you make those your purpose, out of that purpose of knowing God will flow what he wants you to do on this earth. You don't have to worry about it. It will fall into place because you will stay close enough to him that you can hear what he has to say and you can make this, take the steps that he has for you so that you can walk in the way that he wants you to walk. You don't have to have those long-term goals. Just make this your goal. Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. And so Joseph started out with a dream. And then the unthinkable happened. The unthinkable, his brothers threw him in a pit, then sold him as a slave. Now what happens in your life when the unthinkable happens? Something that blindsides you and you had no idea it was coming. Somebody betrayed you. Somebody hurt you. Something happened that maybe you got mad at God. The unthinkable happens. I know years ago, not too long after we had gotten into the ministry, the unthinkable happened to me. I, um, I was blindsided and I was betrayed by someone I thought would never betray me. So the first thing that I did, because uh, I had written a book on healthy relationships, and I found out that the most important thing that you can do is to walk in love and forgiveness. And here I was blindsided. And I had a choice. Little did I know that my choice would probably determine my future and the future of this church. So I had a choice. I wrestled with God for about 12 hours. And then I went to that person and I told them that I forgave them. That's the first thing that I did. Now, walking it out wasn't as easy as just saying I forgive, but I, for, I purpose to forgive. I say that not to build me up, but to show you that to finish your course, to do what God has, gone, has laid out before you, you will be tested with the test of forgiveness. You're going to have to learn to forgive and you probably will have to pass the hardest test that you've ever had to pass when it comes to forgiving people. Joseph had to do that. We know that he did do that because at the end of the story, we see how his interaction with his brothers indicated he, had, he was not holding it against them. But I don't know what went through his mind when he went, was on that trip to Egypt, getting ready to be sold into slavery. He didn't know the outcome. But I believe because when he was sold to Potiphar, 
at that moment, he had finally he had forgiven because he became uh, blessed of God in that situation. And then another thing that that uh, Joseph had to pass is what we are going to have to pass, and we're getting prepared for it starting today. Joseph had to pass the test of not giving in to the flesh. So, uh, you know the story how Potiphar's wife seduced him, and, and um, he ran from her. I mean, it would have been an e easy thing for him to say, well, nobody's ever going to find out. Let me tell you, when you give in to the lust of the flesh, Somebody knows about it. God knows about it. And if you don't deal with it, other people are going to know about it sooner or later. Just the way it works. And Joseph said to Potiphar's wife, how could I possibly do this thing and sin against her husband? No, that's not what he said. Sin against God. You see, this was one of Joseph's key to his life. His accountability was to God. When you're dealing with the sins of the flesh, your accountability may not be with other people, but it is with God. Every time that you sin that sin of lust of the flesh, whatever it is, God's standing right there beside you, watching you do it. Hmm. That's a little sobering. So, Joseph had to pass the test of the lust of the flesh. Today, we're starting a, a church-wide fast for a 21-day fast. Now, lest you get up and run out of this church uh, and say, no, 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 not me, uh, you can fast whatever you want to if you want to be a part of it. It doesn't have to be a full no-eating-food eat, fast. Fast something that your flesh really, 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 really likes. Because fasting is all about Denying the flesh and building up the spirit. Remember Peter, James, and John when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane? And um, Jesus was agonizing in prayer because of what he was getting ready to go through. And he went back to his disciples and he found them sleeping. What was, they, were, they had given in to their flesh. Their flesh was tired. So they gave in to the flesh and... Jesus made this statement, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And what he was saying was this, if you don't build up your spirit by praying, disciples, your flesh is so weak, it'll do something that you, your spirit really doesn't want to do. 
Your spirit is strong because you feed your spirit. Your flesh is strong because you feed your flesh. And it will dominate. Whatever you feed will dominate your life. If you are constantly feeding your flesh, your flesh is going to dominate and it is very weak when it comes to resisting temptation. You know, if an old scraggly cat comes to your door and you say, get out of here, get out of here, I don't want you here, but you feed it, guess what? It's going to come back for more. And so the next day it comes back for more and you say, I told you to get out of here, but you feed it. He's not going to ever leave. He's going to always hang around because you're feeding it. And it's the same way with our flesh. If we feed our flesh constantly and don't build up our spirit, our spirit is very weak when it comes to temptation. If Peter, I believe if Peter, James, and John would have prayed, built up their spirit, Peter would not have denied Jesus. But he didn't. He gave in to the flesh. Uh, I have just a little bit more here. Um, I just want to read some scriptures. We talked about suffering. You know, Paul talked about suffering in that scripture, that scripture in Philippians that I wanted to jump over really quick. I want to just talk about the suffering uh, that Paul was actually talking about. Uh, in 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2, let's look at that in the Amplified. So since Christ suffered in the flesh for us, for you... Arm yourself with the same thought and purpose patiently to suffer rather than to fail to please God. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, is done with intentional sin, has stopped pleasing himself and the world and pleases God. So what is the suffering that Paul is talking about? It's the no to the flesh. Your flesh can scream and holler, but I want it, like a little spoiled child. And it feels like suffering when you have to crucify a flesh. You know, crucifixion is not very much fun, but Jesus tells us that we need to crucify the flesh. Take up our cross and follow him. Huh. How easy is that? Well, it... It's some suffering involved. Let's look at that in the Message Bible. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Man, I wish we could write that down. Always get our own way. Our flesh always wants its own way. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. See, that's the suffering we're talking about. That's what fasting is all about. I mean, that's what, you know, you see this big, luscious, awesome piece of cheesecake and now you can just almost taste it you see the creaminess of it 
there's probably some whipped cream on top or cherries or something. And I mean, he's just saying, just think how wonderful it would be to eat me. And you say, no. That's fasting. And that's crucifying the flesh. And that could be just a little bit of suffering. That's what Paul's talking about. Are we going to finish our course? Well, we're going to have to deny the flesh along the way. And so I want to end with uh, this part of the service with a scripture out of, that we started with, only I want to read it to you out of the message. Uh, Philippians 3, we're going to read 12 through 21. So this is Paul's message to us for 2024. Starting in, in verse 12. In the Message Bible. Now Paul says this. I'm not saying that I have this all together. That I have it made. But I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ. Who has so wondrously reached out to me. Hallelujah. And he's done that for every one of us. Friends don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal, or my eyes are on the prize, where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on the goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, Something less than what? Total commitment. Remember that. That's what we're being called to. Total commitment. God will clear you of a blurred vision. I hope that he, he cleared your blurred vision this morning so you could see the goal that you should be striving for. God will clear your blurred vision and you'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running in this same course. You can look around you. Many of us, we're running this same course, headed for the same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross. But easy street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies their gods. Belches are their praise. All they can think of is their appetites. But there is far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. Hallelujah. We're waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and around him. That's Paul's message to us for 2024. 
He wants us to move onward from where you're at, from glory to glory to glory. Are you ready to get in the race? That's our question. Is it going to be a walk in the park? No. You may have to face some things this year. We as a country may have to face some things this year. We as a church may have to face some things this year. We don't know. But we do know one thing. We're going to press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. We're going to come, become more and more like Jesus this year. And we're going to get better acquainted with our precious Savior and our Father, God, this year. And out of that will flow God's purpose for you, God's purpose for this church. And I truly believe that eventually it will be God's purpose for the United States of America. Because bless God, we're going to press in. In prayer and intercession. And we're going to see some things change in this country. Our God is bigger than anything the devil can do. So uh, this morning we're going to end this service with taking communion. And I, I'm so thankful for the privilege of taking communion because this reminds us, this is what reminds me. When we take communion, it reminds me that Jesus was fully committed to me. He shed his blood on the cross so that my sins can be forgiven. How committed is that? His body was broken so that I might be able to receive my healing. How committed is that? So the question is, where does our commitment lie? If Jesus was that committed to us. Can we be that committed to him? That we would lay down our life for his purpose? <laughs>